Yoga in all its forms has been a support for me in my life through all the highs and lows. It's opened my mind and my heart in ways I never knew were possible. It has been a teacher, a taskmaster, and a friend. This podcast is an offering. I wish to share the teachings of yoga with you as a tool to help navigate life. Namaste and welcome. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here. So the last episode, if you are listening to them in order, was an encore episode. It was the first published episode of this podcast from early 2023 called What is Yoga? In this episode, we're going to conclude our discussion on the kleshas. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Abhinavesha. Abhinavesha is the final klesha. If you have not listened to the previous episodes on Abhinavesha, Asmita, Raga, and Devesha, then I suggest you go back and take a listen to those because they kind of do build on each other. Abhinavesha is defined as clinging to life, fear of death. Pretty straightforward. Nobody wants to die. So we do cling to our lives and all that we have in them and all that we've built. And of course, we cling to the positive and negative narratives, you know, our whole storyline. We cling to all of these self-identification models, if you will. But when we go back and recall what is ecclesia, we're reminded that ecclesia is an affliction or some define it as an addiction because we do become addicted to our habits and our behaviors, whether they're working for us or against us, we still do become addicted to them. And the first uh, primary klesha would be avidya. And avidya is defined as ignorance. Ignorant of what? Ignorant of the truth of who we are. That's the whole thing in a nutshell is we have forgotten our radiance, our beauty, our light being. We have forgotten. We, it's almost like a game that gets played of, you know, um, it's like we are playing hide and seek with the divine nature that we already are. We forget that we are created by source and that, we have really won the big ticket by getting this incarnation in this precious human life form. We forget how limitless we are. And we have experiences in our life and we go through things in our life and then we remember, oh, there I am. There it is, my my wonder, my mysticism, my magic. You know, that which defines me is bigger than how I define myself. And then we forget. And then we go through this whole hide and seek of remembering. And that's fine. And I think that's how it's been designed for many thousands of years. But this Abhinavesa, this ignorance that Abhinavesa is born out of, who doesn't want to cling to life? We all do. Nobody wants to die. But the truth is we do, you know, 
it's not just about fear of the physical death. It's also about fear of the death of the ego. So in other words, which we've talked about in the past, when we have these labels that we put on ourselves or society puts on us and these labels die, things change. We don't like that. And we tend to cling to our old story. We tend to cling to our old identities. Uh, or we get depressed if they're taken from us. You know, we can move into a sort of existential crisis, if you will, if we uh, lose our job or if we uh, lose a loved one uh, or if we lose a relationship that we were really uh, attached to, right? It gets back to that word attachment. But the Binavesa is also death of the ego. Our ego fears letting go, not only of the body, like I said, but also of the mind, the behaviors, the possessions, uh, the relationships. Again, that the way that we identify ourselves, which the point of this is we identify ourselves as limited beings, when the fact of the matter is we are limitless. We are infinite. So this fear of death, as it relates to the mind, is one of the main reasons people find meditation so challenging. Uh, it's so difficult because the mind is clinging to all of its stories and you're trying to be in stillness in a meditation practice and the mind is freaking out. The mind is going, oh, don't forget me. You know, I'm in here. Uh, we have a story. We have things to do. We have things to worry about. We have things to be mad about. We have plans to make. And you're basically in meditation going, I just need to get like in the old days, we used to take the phone off the hook if we didn't want to hear from someone. Now, I guess we put our cell phones on do not disturb, but it's amazing how many people don't know they can do that. But we used to take the phone off the hook. <clears throat> Meditation is a it's a pause, you know, we're just trying to take the phone off the hook for a few minutes a day. And the mind is going, you can't do that. It's important calls coming through. We're needed. And if, what if they call and they don't get us, they're going to call someone else. And the mind just goes crazy, truly, with this idea of being put on hold or having the phone taken off the hook. That's a clinging to life. That's a fear of death, a fear of death of the ego, the ego that is made up of all of these limited narratives and identification tags and story that we have put upon ourselves or have had put upon us. So our brains, the truth is, are hardwired for survival. And we've talked about this as far as um, trauma, and it should continue to be spoken of. Our, our brains are hardwired for survival, and yet we tend to do the exact opposite, which is we tend to avoid things that we fear could take us down and trigger us and reactivate painful feelings and memories. But if we allow ourselves to look at these things head on, move straight into the fire of the thing that we know resembles or feels like the pain we experience, then on the other side, we keep proving to ourselves that we can survive, that we are stronger than we know. And as Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things. You're doing hard things every day. I know you are. But since the brain is hardwired for survival, and we discussed these aversions in the previous episodes, what we're accustomed to is to avoiding the things that bring us reminders of the pain. But that's not how we heal, and that's not how we grow. That's actually how we stay stuck. And actually what we do is we fear death 
death of the physical body, death of the ego. And we cling to the behaviors, the possessions, the relationships that we think uh, are protecting us from known pains, you know, things that have broken our hearts or happened to us that caused us pain, disappointments and things of that nature. So we get this grip on this whole landscape of what not to do, uh, what not to experience, where we should go, where we shouldn't go, who we should trust, who we shouldn't trust. Now, I'm not saying that trial and error in life isn't a good thing. Please learn from past experience, but don't allow past experience to become fear and paralyze you from expansion and growth in your life. Don't become bitter because of past betrayals or because of past pains. Very easy. It's a slippery slope. Every species is hardwired to survive and avoid extinction. I don't know that other species kind of, you know, wake up in the morning and, and, and a blue heron says, I just can't be a blue heron today. You know, I, I don't know that they get stuck on those notions, but we do. And we overthink and overanalyze instead of allowing ourselves to just be and to have faith. So death, as we know it, is a fact of life. I'll say it again. Death is a fact of life. But how often do we truly entertain that fact? We'd rather not, thank you very much. I mean, just think about in our culture here in the West, we're not really fond of aging. We're all about the anti-aging. And we're all about creating nursing homes or assisted facilities that really have rendered the living with our elders to be non-existent. I mean, people in the mainstream, the system has been created such that we can't even afford to care for our elders in our own homes. And then we have to, I think the word is relinquish uh, all of their earnings to nursing homes in order for them to be given sometimes the most grotesque care. And in other cultures, this isn't what happens. The structures are set up in such a way that the families take care of their elders and they get to have access to that great wisdom as opposed to putting them away in places where they can either live out decades of their retirement in affordable communities that are far from the neighborhoods that they raised their families or grew up in themselves. And then they are removed from family in many of those cases by financial reasons um, because they've retired from their careers and there are lots of places they can't afford to live. I mean, it's just a messed up structure. Um, But also it's because we're not a culture that embraces age, which goes hand in hand with the fact that we don't want to talk about death. So our, our cemeteries are not often, sometimes I live in Brooklyn these last few years and having moved from Long Island and a lot of the cemeteries are right, very accessible to the neighborhoods. And it's one of my favorite parts of being in the city. I love cemeteries and I love walking through graveyards, but very often you'll live in communities and areas where the cemeteries can be far removed from your day-to-day life because we don't want the reminder of death. It is a fact that we will all die. 
once we truly start embracing that fact is when we truly begin to live. You know, it's, it's, it is, again, not only a failure of our systems that elders are removed from the homes or from the communities in many cases, not all cases. It's not just the failure of the systems. It's also because we focus more on youth and think that youth, I don't know what we think about youth. Uh, I, I think they're great sharp brains and new ways of thinking. And I want to learn as much from youth and the young younger generations as I do from elders. And I will be an elder in a few minutes. And so I'm hoping people will listen to what I have to say. Um, but that's not often how it works. It's not often, look at your culture. It's not often what we see. So anti-age, quiet the elderly, and focus on youthfulness, vibrancy, the young, sexy people and energy and generations. I think we've got it all wrong. And I think at the root of this is a binovatia, this clinging to life and fear of death. Um, all of life is impermanent and all of nature is impermanent. We are nature. Our physical bodies are nature. So we are in fact impermanent. When we recognize that we are missing so much wisdom by focusing only on the youth, we might just wake up to a more well-rounded whole way of of looking at the world and opportunities will abound to be able to, you know, I get so excited when I see articles of, I just read one recently and I believe she was from the Midwest, um, 90 year old woman that went back to college to earn her degree. She had had uh, an, uh, a degree, an undergraduate degree, and I believe she went back for a master's or a PhD, 90 years young, 90 years young. That is someone who, in my estimation, sees their life as limitless, their potential as limitless. Um, that sees, I, 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 I see that as being full of hope and optimism. And I, that's what I want to hear more of. That's what I want to be more a part of. Um, that courage and that excitement for life at that later stage. That's what really gets me going, maybe because I'm 59, but it's always been something that I have admired is when you see people of a certain age still forging a path for themselves. Um, that's awesome. So I do, as I said earlier, I, I love walking through graveyards, cemeteries, um, because for me, it's a practice on uh, well, on a lot of Buddhist uh, teachings, but definitely on impermanence, but also on this teaching of abhinavesha, this affliction, where I am able to walk through these graveyards and really be uh, amongst the um, physical reminders of death. And in, in, in Brooklyn, I can tell you, they have some of the most beautiful cemeteries and grounds. Greenwood Cemetery is my favorite. Um, 
And it's just, it's so beautiful. But also what I do is I honor these beings that have passed on and I make a promise. I will continue to live as big as I am able because you no longer can. And it's very, I guess for me, it's very encouraging because our time here is limited. And I think we need to be reminded of that more often. I remember attending my first lecture with Professor Robert Thurman, a Buddhist lecture at Tibet House in New York City. I think it was 2006, might've been 2005. And it was a lecture on Buddhism. And although most of it went over my head, I mean, I think it was the first time I heard quantum physics. And he's also, Professor Robert Thurman is a brilliant teacher uh, and so unique um, that a lot of the early teachings, I just sat in awe and thought, well, it's got to be getting into me some way, but I have no idea what this man is talking about. But I do remember that night, something he said that I was really struck by. And he said something along the lines of, all of you, everyone in this room is going to die. None of us gets out of here alive. But the question is, how are you living? And I remember sitting there in my seat, thinking to myself, what? It was like someone had slapped me across the face, trying to think of how old I was then. I was probably 40 or 41. I don't know exactly. And my father had died in a plane crash 10 years earlier. So it's not like I was a stranger to death and death that hit extremely close to home. But here this guy was saying, looking out at us, maybe 100 people in the room or 50 people in the room, I don't know, and just saying, you're all going to die. No one gets out of here alive. He didn't mean the room, of course. And I remember thinking, whoa, what? I, I just had never entertained my mortality. I don't know why not. I just hadn't. And it was at that moment that it really shifted for me. I, I of course think of that line from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. I guess that's a really awesome line when you break it down, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. We are dying. We're dying every day, every minute of the day. So when we start to embrace wholeheartedly, not just as a far off notion, but really allow ourselves to, to meditate on the fact of our impermanence in this physical human life form. That's when we start to release our grip, unclench our fists, open up our arms. You know, our arms are kind of crossed and clenched against our chest. And that's when we really truly begin to live. Well, that's when we begin to live. Not perfection, but we begin to fully awaken to this incarnation, to this life. If not now, when? What are we waiting for? It, your potential is limitless 
Your light is infinite, but this human life form that you have been blessed with has an expiration date. Liberation is when we embrace this fact with all of our being and we realize that it's the clinging that's holding us back from fully feeling alive. It's our limitations brought on by those self-identification labels of the ego, remember, ashmita, ego, pride, that shackle us to the possessions and the limited beliefs about ourselves. In other words, like I said, we are limitless energy beings, light beings, living out an experience in a physical form. The truth is, the truth is that our essence, our soul is infinite. It's the body that's impermanent. Our essence, when we die, experiences a transition, not a final ending. All of nature, as I said, is impermanent and our physical bodies are nature. I said that because it's the truth. If you've ever lost someone, a loved one or beloved pet, chances are you've had an experience of feeling them after they've gone. Somehow feeling them. A sign, perhaps. A door blowing open. A cardinal in your dining room. That was one of mine. A feather. A butterfly. I can't tell you why or how I know it to be true, but hummingbirds are a sign from my mother who passed in 2020. I don't know how I know that. I just do. That's their essence. The soul lives on. It is the death of the physical body that we cling to. <clears throat> I get that. But once we start to embrace the fact that death is a part of life, I don't know. It changes something. It changes the way you take care of your body. It changes the way you see yourself in the mirror. It changes how you greet the day. It changes, it changes everything. Small steps, little changes, but you start to take everything a little more seriously, but not in a serious, limited way, in a way that makes you feel more full of life. You remember that first klesha, avidya, ignorance? It's at the root of everything, right? <clears throat> This is what we are most ignorant of, our limitless potential and our true essence. Clinging to life, fear of death, is the ego's way of saying, quite ignorantly, this is all there is. Like we have to hold on to it for dear life. That's a closed, clenched fist kind of experience, not open and receptive to all there is. That second klesha, remember, asmita, pride, ego, there it is again. 
clinging to self-identification labels. And hey, it's okay to know what you know and believe what you believe and love who you love. Yeah, that's okay. But egoism keeps us bound to who it thinks we are. It's a vidya, ignorance, that keeps us thinking small about who we are. You're bigger than you know. Dream bigger than you know. Open, expand, not contract and close. Abhinavesha is not just about the physical death of the body and, and that fear of that. It's also about clinging to the set ideas about who we are. Uh, and just like the ego, we don't want to, what's the word? We don't want to imply that Abhinavesha is, quotes, all bad. Okay, because without the hardwiring for survival, without a little fear of death, we'd never look both ways when we cross the street. It's that simple. Some fear of death or clinging to life keeps us alive, stops us from jumping off of buildings, literally. And that's a good thing, obviously. When we reduce the effect of the clashes, afflictions, addictions, in our life, we begin to free up the mind and heart space for things that really have deep meaning. We expand in our lives. We see more opportunity for connection, for service, for love. We judge less. You know, we just, we judge less. It's like, we just don't give a crap. We don't, Oh, we, we don't only stop sweating the small stuff. We don't even see the small stuff anymore. That's the goal. Liberation is not focusing on the small stuff and the little irritants that, you know, that are a constant. It's like um, when we're always irritated by things people do, and, and I am one of those people, I can be very easily irritated by certain people repeatedly. When we stop focusing on those little irritants, mind space expands. We just get greater mind space. And I've talked before about who are you going to evict from your mind? Who doesn't deserve room in your mind anymore? Expand beyond that. Send them an eviction letter. Not physically, obviously. It's, it's they're holding up and taking up space in your mind that could be used for greater endeavors. I promise you. But we do judge less and we release our grip and open our arms, as I said. And the ways in which we're meant to shine in our precious human life form reveal themselves to us. Love is everywhere. So I want to read briefly again from the Path of the Yoga Sutras by Nikolai Bachman on Abhinavesha. Death, like time, exists only in the ever-changing manifest world. That pure light of awareness resting within each of us was never born and will never die. It is perpetual and eternal. As we spend more time experiencing this divine presence and regarding our body as a temporary house for it, our fear of dying lessens. Death becomes simply another change. So that concludes our section on the glaciers. Of course, they'll come up in uh, future discussions for sure. But I hope this brief overview in these episodes serves you well. 
piques your curiosity and that you will continue your investigation, your study on the glaciers, hands at the heart center. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and strong. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings live with ease. Namaste and a happy new year to you. Thank you.